0: Hello and welcome to Conor Day Unplugged on Tuesday, the 3rd of March 2020. And it's certainly a super Tuesday for financial markets, so that's got nothing to do with the race to become the next U.S. Democratic presidential candidate. Mark Pender is on U.S. West Coast. Brian Jackson is in Sydney. And I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, to state the blindingly obvious, it's the escalating coronavirus epidemic currently affecting in excess of 90,000 people globally that continues to dominate investor behavior and now more than ever dictate market prices. In the wake of last week's carnage in stocks and the general shift to risk off, some monetary authorities, including the Fed earlier today, who already responded via liquidity injections and or lowering key interest rates. A raft of dovish official comments in recent days had previously prompted significant speculation that there might be a coordinated move on rates involving the Fed, Bank of England, and the Bank of Japan as soon as tomorrow. As it is, the US has jumped the gun. G7 finance ministers and central bank governors also issued a joint statement earlier promising to make use of all the necessary and fisc- monetary and fiscal tools needed to stabilise markets and protect growth. However, it was notably light on any details. Obviously, much will depend upon how the COVID-19 crisis evolves. But as a starting point, the key question here must be, would a broad-based reduction in borrowing costs work in the first place, or does the avoidance of a possible global session now need a looser fiscal policy. Normally, we kick off in the Southern Hemisphere with Brian, but in the light of the Fed's first intermediate move since the coordinated Mm. cuts back in 2008, if I remember rightly. Over to you, Mr. Pender, for your thoughts on today's developments.
1: Well, the, I guess my first thought is the stock market's reaction and the bond market's reaction, uh, just a flood into the bond market, uh, pulling uh, pushing rates uh, far lower, well into record territory. And um, uh, creating more of an inverted yield curve. We've lived with this inverted yield curve for at least a year, I guess, and it's been signaling a recession all along. It's been a surprise reaction in the stock market. Just We're down about 3% again today. And even after yesterday's 5% rally, um, it wasn't at the expense of the bond market. There was almost a, a no change at all in the bond market. <clears throat> It, it's a, a bit of a mystery right now, um, and it makes you wonder if the markets are over-anticipating uh, the uh, virus's effects. Uh, you know, Powell himself um, you know, said that the economic data so far hasn't shown any effect. This is going to be definitive, actual, hard data. Um, he did mention survey data uh, and, and citing uh, questions. We had the ISM earlier this uh this week on Monday, uh, and there was really no, hardly any effect in the numbers uh, there. We had delivery times uh, spike up, which held, which, which is a positive in the way they calculate the composite. But um, the commentary was limited, but it definitely said that there was being havoc uh, played on the uh, on the supply chain in the manufacturing sector. Anyway, so Powell wasn't really able to cite any. Uh, direct impact yet, and it, 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 hinting also perhaps that their own contacts in the business community uh, are, are are pointing to uh, uh, possible effects. But I think it's definitely they're reacting more to the market and uh, what it uh, is telling them. Interestingly, you know, Powell cited uh, several times in his press conference uh, today uh, uh, the. The, the dual mandate of the Fed, uh, keeping uh, high rates of employment and stable inflation, but that's not why they're reacting. They're not reacting to any change of employment, which is still very strong, and inflation hasn't changed at all. It's the third unsaid uh, uh, mandate. That he didn't—he literally didn't didn't uh, uh, say which was the stability of the financial markets, and that's leading them around, I guess, by the nose, so to speak. But um, I have a question for you, Jeremy. Is now you had said that the ECB, or did you say the ECB said the G7 uh, has less of, a, seemed to have less of a of a, uh, details, or uh, certainly the 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 Fed really did show it is very serious with this fifty basis point did. cut. Is it's,
0: there less seriousness among the other central banks? Well, I could almost turn this around and get, get um, Brian involved in this as well. I mean, I well, think looking at the market reaction we've seen today, it was quite interesting. You mentioned we had this huge rally coming through in the stock market yesterday. Um, you know, in the midst of that, you had all this speculation. We were going to see this coordinated cut coming through from the three big central banks. And we got, okay, the Fed apparently has, has done its own thing and come out and cut 50 basis points. But I think also inbuilt into the market was this knowledge that the G7 the group of finance ministers and central bank governors were going to be issuing some kind of communique. and my my personal view is I think we're at the stage now whereby investors as a whole are looking at central banks and thinking well okay a cut in central bank interest rates would not be a bad thing in terms of helping to restore confidence, but we're not in the kind of, you know, um, credit crunch scenario that we were back in 2008 when we didn't have credit flows going through. This is a coronavirus. Cutting interest rates doesn't help to address the virus. And I think what they were hoping for from a G7 statement, which really, as you said, didn't say anything. It simply came out and said, uh, you know, we G7 people are going to come out, and do what's necessary monetary policy and fiscal policy to make sure everything's okay well okay big deal that's just nice words but what about the action and I think markets now want to see a coordination between monetary policy and perhaps even more importantly fiscal policy if we can see some kind of sustainable rally Brian, what do you think about that kind of view? Because from your side of the world, from what I've seen, you've got central banks saying different things. Some central banks like the RBA cutting rates. Was it the Bank of Korea? And I think the RBNZ kind of intimating that there's not much point in using monetary policy. It should be fiscal policies. Is that right? Have I got that wrong?
2: No, I think that is right. And, yeah, you are definitely seeing a bit of, um, uh, you know, some divergence in in the messages coming out from central banks. But uh, an increasing, uh, I think, uh, trend towards supporting more fiscal moves. Um, that's definitely the case here in Australia. You know, the RBA cut uh, this week, but a lot of talk about uh, how the, the federal government needs to to bring in, you know, maybe targeted but still pretty substantial uh, fiscal support for a lot of the businesses and sectors uh, impacted by it. And in the case of Japan, you know, it looks like Abe is also. Uh, very much on board with the idea that uh, it needs to do more uh, on on the fiscal front you know given that you know, Japanese monetary policy has been uh, so accommodative for for such a long time anyway uh, you know and I, and I totally agree i think you know you have an economic crisis and you have a, a medical crisis and the 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 extent and the duration of the of the economic crisis is going to depend on the extent and duration of the medical crisis, and, and that's just an unknown. But it's not something that you know central banks are able to
1: to fix. Mm. But Brian, I have, I have a question. But you said economic crisis. Uh, Brian, I mean, is there? A, I mean, we may be headed toward one, but there's no evidence that we're in one yet. Certainly, the the numbers out of China uh, were were a disaster. But that's only one month, and they could uh, snap back. Presumably, um, should we think of this right now as a? as or is this a self-fulfilling prophecy when when we, we talk about economic crises
2: well I, i'm just using crisis as a you know as, as a way to describe you know a very disruptive uh, effect I, i'm not saying that it's necessarily going to be a long-lasting one but i, I think you know just the, the the scale of the of the slowdown in in china and, and the potential that that causes uh, you know at, at, to supply chains right across the world um you know it, it's obviously a, a serious concern and so you know but we could have a very strong uh, bounce back if, if the medical situation improves. So um, it's it's really just driven by um, you know whether authorities can get on top of it uh, as a, as a medical issue. I think.
0: So I can't help wondering if we might have had a, a better response if we'd seen a, you know, a higher deg- degree of coordination. I mean, if we'd seen something coming out of the Fed and the Bank of England and the Bank of Japan all at the same time, and perhaps you know the Bank of Canada, i mean, they meet tomorrow. And I think now, if they certainly don't come out and cut interest rates, the market's going to be hugely disappointed in Canadian assets. But I think you know, we're at this stage now where investors want to see coordination between central banks. And they want to see cooperation between the central banks and the fiscal policy makers and these bland statements they're putting out at the moment is we're all very well but you know they've done that now you've you've talked the talk the markets really want to
1: see do the walk the walk now but, Jeremy, there's no uh, structure for, uh, at least here in the U.S., between coordinating um, central bank policy and co- with uh, fiscal yep. policy. They're very, very separate, and they, there's no hotline. You know, Powell said today that they're talking with, he said, all the central banks. I know that's a lot of central banks, but yeah. um, are they talking with all the governments? Are they talking uh, with the major lawmakers here in the U.S., uh, let alone I think, other places I think they all
0: I think they are, but you're right. I am mean, the problem for the central bankers is that they have no say in fiscal policy. Now the fiscal policy makers, to the extent that they may or may not be responsible for appointing central bank governors or you know perhaps even members of the monetary policy committee, um, they perhaps can have some say in the, the future shape of monetary policy. But we have some comments out coming out from Mark Carney, who is still just about the central bank governor for you know for the UK at the moment. His term finishes in what, a couple of weeks' time. Um intimate and would there would be this cooperation between fiscal policy and monetary policy and be some kind of coordinated move And i think markets just you know, really want to see that but you're probably right it's just difficult at this stage to see if they got any kind of structure in place which actually allows that to come out and happen and happen because i think that's what's needed now and i think you know for countries like the uk and I might as well have a quick chat about the eurozone um, eurozone in particular i think you know if you want the big central banks to act in concert, you need the ECB to do something as well. Now, okay, we do have an ECB meeting next week, but to the extent that the Fed's, you know, is happy to move before its meeting, why couldn't the ECB do something? Now, at the end of the day, I think that comes down to the fact that one they've got negative interest rates already their deposit rate is what minus minus 0.5 percent so why bother taking another half a percentage point or 25 basis points off that of course they've got this split on the council as well whereby an increasing number of governing council members believe that negative interest rates have been around for so long that they're starting to do more damage now to the workings of the financial system and by knock-on effects to the economy as a whole then you know if we actually saw perhaps the uh, interest rates in In positive numbers. So I think it is, as we've talked about on previous podcasts, one of the big issues and something which central banks must have been desperate to avoid is the fact that you get a potential big downturn at a time when interest rates basically are rock bottom anyway. The Fed perhaps can do a little bit more, but for a lot of other central banks, you know, that's it. They've used interest rates, they've used quantitative easing, they can go out and buy more assets, but will it really make any more difference? Um, ECB, as mentioned, I think you know, they do have some big problems. I think the markets, in some ways, are quite like them to to see them do something, but by the same token, they didn't really expect anything. Um, and it's been interesting looking across the the you know the majors. Um, uh, people on the central bank boards, notice, notably by her her quietness, has been the ECB president, Christine Lagarde. Now, she did have the vice president saying yesterday that the frontline response should be fiscal policy, not monetary policy. And again, that's really consistent, I think, with what we've seen coming out of the ECB for some time, trying to lean upon you know, European governments to come out and reflate. Now, the problem for the European governments, of course, is that they've got this... Um, growth and stability pact which essentially limits the amount that they can actually come out and borrow in the first place. Now I think a key date looking ahead for financial markets on that basis will be what March the 16th when uh, as I understand it there's going to be a meeting of the euro finance ministers all 19 of them of discussing um, a possible joint action plan which could involve uh, the temporary suspending of the budget deficit and debt caps contained in the stability and growth pact if they were to do that that would certainly then open the door to allow them to come out and spend a bit more however germany being germany as things currently stand is still intimating that it's not keen on this idea mm. it doesn't like anything to do with the deficit but italy mm. Where we've got what I think more than two and a half thousand confirmed cases of this virus now, and is the major hotspot in Europe. They've come out and announced what on Sunday, at least proposed, um, a fiscal stimulus package just off their own bat, worth 3.6 billion euros. That's about what, 0.2% of GDP. And that's going to include, well, tax credits for companies which report a a big drop in revenues due to the impact of the virus, as well as some tax cuts and additional money for the health. System. Now that package has got to be approved, though, by the European Union as well as the local government. Of course, they can't get Italy, um, Germany on their side. There's no guarantee they'll get it through.
1: Well, if you think about it, um, two weeks away, March 16th. That's pretty far away. Uh, and yeah. If the mark, if the markets stabilize, that's wonderful. Uh, but if the markets don't stabilize and they're not stabilized today, um, they, that might they might have uh, more immediate efforts might have to. Um, have to emerge and i it, do, does everyone agree that the ecb is the missing link here that they're the one if there is to be a, a big move it's going to have to be from them
0: I think it'd be nice if they were to do it. But the question is, what can they do? So, you know, the old monetary toolbox, as far as ECB concerned, is almost empty now. I mean, as I understand, the current talk is uh, it's unlikely that Lagarde, even if she wanted it, will be able to ram through a cut in interest rates because Germany doesn't want it. Austria doesn't want it. A number of others don't as well. Um there seems to be a general wall against any kind of increase in the, the quantitative easing, the 20 billion euro a month and the asset package as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. All they've got left well, I say all they've got left. Um, there is talk now that they might start trying to play around with these, these so-called targeted longer term repo operations. And this is essentially uh, cheap, cheap loans to the banking sector. But again, that's just, you know, supplying liquidity to a banking sector, which these things can't stand, doesn't really need any additional liquidity in the first place. How so about direct? Buy, how issue.
1: about how about direct buying in the stock market?
0: Well, that's, that would
1: be something which would be
0: uh, com- you know, completely off the wall as far as the ECB is concerned. It has been discussed in the past, certainly, um, and it may well be that if this thing really es- escalates into something nasty, I mean, was it just yesterday where it was the OECD were admitting that it's not impossible we could see a contraction in, in global GDP in the first quarter as a result of this virus. If that happens, then I think you know, central banks and, and governments are going to have to start looking at doing something else it may be, as you say, intervention in the stock market per se.
2: But I, I think also the situation is similar for uh, Japan. They don't have that much room to, to do more on monetary policy front end. Yeah. So it's going to be a, you know, a bigger focus, I think, on fiscal. Particularly, you know, they're going to try and do everything they can do to make sure that the Tokyo Olympics go ahead. Um, mm. So we're going to see that, I think, a, a really big focus. and but. You know, I think you're right, Mark. You know, mid-March is still quite a lot. still feels a long way away from mm-hmm. now. And so mm-hmm. in the meantime, there's just, you know, what's striking is just how much focus there is now on mm-hmm. whatever sort of daily uh, indication, indications we can get out of China about whether there is actually some sort of recovery from that freefall and activity in February. And so, you know, you're seeing people monitor things like traffic congestion, uh, mm-hmm. daily coal consumption, property sales, just to try and get an indication of whether, you know, China is getting back to work. Uh, at the moment, you know, there's some sort of signs of stabilisation, but not a not a really sharp rebound yet.
1: Well, the, the BOJ has been buying uh, stocks for the last several years. Is that right? Um, uh,
2: yeah, the, I mean that that's been part of sort of you know just their broader quantitative easing uh, uh, you know mechanism. So, but
1: um, but but they know, could we, focus on that, and the BOJ isn't completely. Uh, without any um, options
2: yeah that's right but I, i'm just saying i, I do think uh, it's going to be a, a bigger focus on fiscal
1: yeah
0: okay um well things are going to be difficult I think one the one of the interesting aspects i think of all this is looking at performance of the dollar you know, the last few weeks we've been talking about safe haven assets and within the currency markets. You know, the dollar always tends to do well during you know during times of problems such as now. But it's interesting just how well the euro has rallied against the dollar over the course of the last week or so. And that's really been built purely just around what ever since Jerome Powell you know, made his uh, dovish sounds at the back end of last week and yeah, uh, you know, dollars really come off in that very sharply which I guess you know on a, on a short-term basis still kind of intimates that interest rate differentials remain important to the currency markets because for the euro because we've had these negative interest rates for so long it's very much been on the as you know, used as a funding currency uh, for investors to try and find yield elsewhere so investors have been borrowing euros investing in particular in the dollar on the grounds that the interest rate differential makes it an attractive purchase but with this 50 basis point cut okay you still have positive interest rates but the differential isn't what it used to be and we certainly see some unwinding of those uh, carry trades as a result of that and that certainly hit the dollar quite significantly so it'll be interesting to see whether or not we get back if this virus continues to escalate as it appears it will do whether or not the dollar you know Reattains its safe haven status, or this interest rate play, can you yeah, continues to go on?
1: It looks like the yen's uh, safe haven sta- status is also uh, been confirmed, or is also growing. It seems to be yeah. on the rallying too.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, right. Well, what about we, before we finish on this little lot? Um, Mr. Pender, I have, I have to yeah. ask you, does it matter anymore? Friday, we have an employment report. <laughs> does it matter?
1: Please tell well, me about something we are talking the, about. The, the regular things do matter. No. I, well, that's what I was saying about the employment. Uh, and, and you had, uh, was it the, e, uh, the Eurozone unemployment rate was 7.4? Was that today? It was. Um, we
0: actually saw the unemployment going up a little bit, which is the first time we've seen that really for a while. And just may intimate that, you know, the labor market here like your side, has held up very well, but perhaps starting well.
1: started to turn. Yeah, well, we haven't seen that turn yet. Uh but uh, if we do see the turn i i don't that would be uns- even more unsettling i would think but the indications going into this employment report have been very uh, they haven't been the, as strong as they were the month before when payrolls jumped 225,000 far beyond what anyone expected there are likely i think the economic consensus is 175 which is a perfectly respectable very strong showing um, if there is some kind of a breakdown it would be immediately blamed whether there's evidence or not, just, you know, it's correlation in time, they would blame it on uh, virus effects. Uh, and, of course, that could uh, raise more concerns about that. Um, but uh, I am, you know, it's, I, I have to, I'm waiting to see in the hard data some kind of a uh, a, a strong reaction. You know, the PMIs outside of China um, held up pretty well, don't you think, you guys? I mean, uh, for February? Yeah, across
2: uh, the rest of Asia, they, they came up a little bit, but you're right, um, not, not as anywhere near as sharp as, as the drop in, in China. You know, maybe that means that it just takes a while for those supply chain effects to, to pass through into uh, manufacturing sectors elsewhere in the region. Um, you know, we, we've sort of got to wait another 25, 26 days to find out a, a, about that. But, um, yeah, I think there's, you know, I think we haven't seen the end
1: of the impact. And who's going to hold up the stock market over the next 25, 26 days? Right. Yeah, uh, is it good? Yeah.
0: yeah, it's not an easy time, is it? Well, I suppose there's still scope for some other central banks to do their little bit. Whether it makes any difference or not remains to be seen. But um, I guess since we've been talking for a while, unless anybody else has anything to add? E- nope. Okay, in which case, Uh-oh. well, let's. Yeah. OK, that's great. Well, let's round it off for now, then. So central banks have at least started to ease in response to the virus, And if financial markets have got it right, for some at least, and that's including the Fed, there's more to come. The ECB may not be in that group, but we'll find out what they think next week in the interim. From Mark, Brian and myself, thanks as always very much for listening. Do keep watching Econaday's global economic calendar for updates on all the important data and events. I'm off now to find a virology class, but we'll all see you (laughs) next time. Bye for now.